Hello and welcome to the offside. Uh, welcome I'm... to the offside. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> oh, I just kind of like offside now. Yeah. <laughs> Always. That's a forward's life. Fair. Dip in and out. Um, this is an episode uh, we're gonna call the international break episode. Uh, we probably haven't recorded here for five weeks, but we've only missed two weeks of MLS action, so not a big deal. Um, I'm joined tonight by Colin. What's going on? I'm, I'm super excited to talk a lot about Real uh, Salt Lake today. <laughs> yeah, actually, the, it's good thing you brought that up. Uh, so Davis is unable to join us, but he sent in a recording uh, for one of the Real Salt games. So we're going to attach it at the end. I'm sure he we'll has get a to it. pretty big analysis. Um, so we're pretty excited for that. We've been like hyping them. You know, they're what, third or fourth in the West right now? I'm sure they're somewhere uh, up there. Oh, they're actually eighth in the West. They fell recently. I'm sure they're somewhere um, down there. <laughs> middle of the table. Um, so we're pretty excited uh, for that. Uh, Renee couldn't join us because uh, he has a dog. So that was his reasoning. Um, Fair. Yeah. yeah. Dogs take up time. So My dog is uh, chewing a bone so loud, it's probably in the, uh, like the latent audio of this. Well, Clyde is probably the most consistent hello from the offside member. He makes <laughs> right. an appearance every episode. <laughs> That's fair. So. That's fair. Uh, but so we're just kind of going to jump in. We have a couple topics. We're going to hit on a couple games. Probably not too in-depth because we're a little bit removed from them. But uh, a bunch of new things have been going on that have been exciting uh, for MLS teams during this international break. Um, I think the first big newest piece of news, I would say, is that... Uh, we're starting to see leaks and information about the crew's new home, including their training ground. Uh, there was some, I, I guess, MLS viral. I don't know how else to describe it. It wasn't like actually viral, but viral to MLS fans. Uh, some leaks of uh, one of the players showed off some of the new uh, things in their digs. So um, Colin, as our resident crew person, you want to talk about how excited you are for a new facility and new stadium? Sure. The, so the training ground is like is done and open now. So the leaks aren't even leaks. They're just they they had a ribbon cutting on the ninth. So like Wednesday, the crew cut the ribbon on their new training facility. And like uh, all of the other new facilities in MLS, it's state of the art. It's one of the best in the world, which is an odd thing you can say about MLS facilities, but it's true. All of these new MLS facilities if they're spending the, the right money, like the crew and like LAFC, like even uh, New England and Cincinnati have done, these are now world-class facilities as good as Manchester City. And they're open and they're in the U.S. So it's, it, that's what's really going to be the, the huge advantage to all of these teams is that you've, so you've got these new owners who are going to come in and they're going to say, what can we do to make our team competitive in the world? we can throw 30 million at a new training facility. Great. We'll do it. And, and they're going to do this and, and it's what it is. Um, so the, the new crew facility is built on the uh, Western edge of the current crew stadium, soon to be historic crew stadium. They have a, uh, like a cafeteria. They've got weight rooms. They've got a pool, like a little pool. They've got a hot tub. They've got the cool things. They've got an Academy set up there. They've got all of the uh, team's offices up there as well. So you've got this brand new facility, essentially in downtown Columbus, for anyone who's been at this stadium, which I know you have, Brad, and um, 
the rest of our uh, Hello from the Offsides crew has. It's not downtown, downtown, but it's like practically downtown for any major city. Um, and and it's, it, it exists. It's there. It's ready. The same with Cincinnati. They've got this. Um, Atlanta has a really beautiful one. You can you can go down the list. All of these teams have great ones. I think Seattle's at Starfire is solid. I don't think it's at this level, but it's it's a really good one. Starfire was like I believe, if I remember correctly, it it was just kind of they did a facelift of an existing yeah. kind of the USL area. Yeah, um, and, it's and there, fine. There I mean, be, it gets the job done. There will be a time when Seattle says we've got to build a better one, and they will. It's not it's not out of their price range, and it's not out of any of these MLS owners' price range, and that's where I think. Uh, MLS owners can really shine and can take uh, bringing a player from abroad to the next level. As you can say, look at this. This is your day-to-day. You don't have to – the stadium, you play there once a week. But you can come and you know that every day you have breakfast provided, you have lunch provided, which is what the crew are providing, breakfast and lunch, and then you can hang out here. You've got this lounge. You've got your locker room. You've got the facilities all of this stuff is there, and that's like all of the NFL teams um, and the NBA teams have this. You know, the Bucks just built a brand new one in Milwaukee, right by the stadium. This is this is where I think you can really set yourself apart from other teams in the world, in the in MLS, you know, etc. I think the thing that you're underselling here, for me, kind of my big takeaway. Yeah, the other things are cool, but. Uh, the most useful and practical things, you know, outside of the weight room and uh, the like recovery areas, you know, you have the running like pool for, but they also had a really good film study room, yeah, uh, which I think is awesome. So, um, you know, that's critical. I feel like uh, we're going to dabble into this a little more, but the stats world of MLS, um, you know, if the cruise players are able to go there pretty much all day, like a nine to five job, and just go in and meet with, you know, their position coach or, and I hate to say position coach, but there are kind of like position coaches oh, in the MLS. Um, you know, they can really get in there and, and do the breakdown of film and look at things. And um, I mean, we've talked about it before, but the crew has a pretty fantastic stats department, um, or I guess I should say analytics department. Um, so that I feel like it's really going to help optimize their future. Um, all these MLS teams who are doing it, I think it's, you know, really important. Um, I'm excited, you know, you kind of dabbled on Seattle. I think that uh, everything we know about Brian Schmencer is he's basically Dabo Sweeney. Uh, so they're going to have Schmencer land with a slide and video games. No, I'm just kidding. He is a dentist. It'd be the most boring looking thing if he designed it. You know, uh, speaking, speaking of dentists, the new, uh, the new crew facility has a barber chair. I saw that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I remember when like Oregon did that for their yeah. football program. Yeah. They Ohio released State's it, and like everyone was like Nebraska's super excited. I'm sure. I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure everyone does yeah. in their new so. facility, and it's and that's what it is. Like like you said, this nine to five job concept is is I think a little bit, and this is definitely a, a Western and an American bias here. But this nine to five job of treating your sport like you're playing and like you're working a nine to five job is definitely. Um, a newer concept, I think, for soccer players, you know, basketball players, football players, baseball players are definitely doing this. They're working out all the time. They're staying there. They're doing all of this film study. And some soccer teams in in Europe are treating it this way. But this is where MLS, for me, can set themselves apart by using analytics 
in a way that is even better than teams like Liverpool or to the level of teams like Liverpool and treating it like it's this nine to five job where you've got nutrition all the way through. There are beds in the new crew, uh, crew facility so they can take a nap, they can rest, they can do anything. You know, you can, you can have your, your day to night in this facility. It's, it's where, where the league can really, uh, start to set itself apart without spending that money on players, which is, you know, the next step. Yeah, it's really exciting. I think the smart thing with these clubs who are building them too is that they're building them essentially in an area where their academy presence is as well. So not only is your first team getting access to all these benefits, but your academy team. So you're going to start developing players who have this mentality like this is the type of work you have to put in to succeed and they're going to see it and they're going to grow and this has been an ongoing thing for MLS and development of players, which we've seen kind of the fruition of it the last couple of years, is that MLS is developing players who are going to Europe and being successful. Um, so I, I think that's a really great point. I was um, I was listening to the Total Soccer Show this week and preparing for uh, Euro, which is happening, and Copa America, which is happening like next week. And Felipe Cardenas was on Total Soccer Show. And he was mentioning the Iguain's father, so Gonzalo and Federico Iguain's father, um, who's huge into the uh, Argentinian soccer circle, the Argentine soccer soccer circle, football circle. Um, he's he's grown up there. He played. I think he was a professional player. He is, I mean, obviously very ingrained in the youth soccer culture there, and all the way from the bottom to the top. And Federico and Gonzalo's father visited uh, Federico's children in Columbus because he's their grandpa and watched them play. And he was actively lamenting that Columbus and America has a better setup for youth soccer from training, from tactical training, all of that than Argentina does. And that's not something you and I see, especially with all of these Argentine number 10s coming to the U.S., but... This is something where we're going to reap the benefits of all of these facilities, all of this money spent into training in 10, 15, maybe five years. We're going to reap all of the benefits of this. Yeah, and I think we're definitely seeing it. Uh, We've kind of talked about this, I think, on the last recording, but there have been several young Americans, uh, 17 years of age, who have been able to step onto the MLS pitch and succeed um, at a level that you know before this the only example of like a very young player being successful was freddie adu and uh for any more information on that i'm sure there's a million deep dive podcasts on the (laughs) freddie adu story uh it's almost like a true crime thing at this point even though he's alive and well i still have uh, uh this is a little bit unrelated so uh one of my my really fond memories of uh going to crew games is Back in, I don't remember if I was in high school or if I was like really, really early into college. And I, my dad, uh, I was really lucky. My dad bought us crew season tickets. And when I had a car and w- could drive at 16, so this was like 2013, I 2013, 2003, I could drive myself to crew games. Uh, I couldn't go alone. You know, my parents wouldn't let me make that two-hour drive by myself. But I could take a friend. I could take my dad. Or I could take my mom. And... Uh, if you've been to the Crew Stadium, which I know you have, you know that the North End has this big stage in the middle of it. And that wasn't there when we had season tickets. So this must have been 2005. 
uh, and that's where the kind of angry, rowdy supporter section was then. Now they're the Nordak, then they were the North End. So my, I take my mom to this game, and my mom, love my mom, wonderful woman. She's, you know, I'm not a tall guy. My mom is five feet tall on a good day. And we, she comes with me to this game. It's against DC United, who at that time, the crew fans thought they were the biggest rival pre-2008, so the crew hadn't ever won a championship yet. The crew used to, like, this is pre-TIFO even. And what they would do at the beginning of these games is they would roll this big, like, tarp down the north end, and it was a essentially a crew jersey. So they would do this. We were right under this. My mom, not knowing what to do, just sticks her hands up, like trying to keep this jersey over her head. Freddie Adu's playing, almost scores a goal, uh, and, and you get to see this crazy like game happening, uh, which is a, a little bit of a divergence, but a nice memory of Crew Stadium with my mom while uh, the Crew Stadium is about to close. Yeah, I think that kind of puts a cap on, I guess, uh, the new Crew Stadium and facilities. I think, uh, you know, people will be excited to hear, you know, I think there's going to be a lot of uh, memory pieces coming out about Old Crew Stadium. You know, a lot of famous U.S. matches have happened there. Uh, quite a few of the Dosaceros. I think you've been um, to a Dosacero there. I have, yes. So, uh, you know, it's definitely a famous stadium. It was... I think it wasn't it the first soccer specific stadium in the US. It was technically the second. The Charleston okay. Batteries was the first. But, oh, okay. but they like to refer to it as the first. Same year. They opened the exact same year. Um, Charleston Battery was doing it in a lower division, but also was doing it with less yeah. money. Like huge props to them. Um, they, they just closed their stadium uh, last year, the year before that. And they moved to, uh, I think, the College of Charleston's uh, stadium. But. Yeah, great stadium. Okay. Massive yeah. Report has a bunch of articles on that. Uh, the crew are going to do their own. I wrote one about um, the 2001 MLS Cup that was held in Crew Stadium with uh, L.A. and San Jose. Really great memory I have um, with my dad. We He and I went. I also watched the, uh, <laughs> the first ever Major League Lacrosse Cup was in Crew Stadium. I was at that the Long Island Lizards, and I think it was the Boston Cannons when uh, Body by Jake owned the league. So that's, <laughs> now that, it's that's Premier not, League lacrosse. Exactly, yeah. That's yeah. not in the uh, article, but but that's a nice memory. Yeah, so, uh, so fitting, I hope, uh, you know, end to Crew Stadium and excited for... Uh, does the new stadium have a name or is it just... No name yet. Uh, there okay. were some leaks this week of lower.com field. It seems yeah. like it seems like lower.com might literally be the name of the field and there's going to be a stadium as well. Gotcha. But I don't care. They could call it like Stinky Booty Stadium and I'm going to be happy to go there. You've got a ticket anytime you want to come, Brad. I know Renee <laughs> and Davis have a ticket as well. And Davis is going to join me for a game. The first the first Hell is Real game at uh Crew Stadium. Davis and I are going. We've we've booked everything except our hotel, which you know, worst-case scenario, we'll sleep uh in our cars but but that's gonna happen too so uh our first our first unofficial official hello from the offsides trip to new crew stadium <laughs> that'll be exciting all right well we'll keep this rolling right along i think the other news that broke this week um is in a continuation of things that have been uh ongoing this year the new england revolution released a new logo um I just wanted to touch on Davis, uh, had some thoughts about it. He really likes it. Um, 
his only knock to it is that it kind of has a Rangers feel to it. Um, obviously, Rangers of the Scottish Premier League, uh, you know, biggest rival to Celtic. Um, you know, that's a problem for Davis. He's a huge Celtic fan. So um, he, you know, obviously hates the Rangers. So that was his thoughts. Um, I like it. Uh, the old Revs logo kind of looked Kid Pixie almost. Um, it was a weird flag that I think they were trying to have the effect of making it look tattered, but it always just kind of looked digital and weird. Um, this new logo is more of a crest. Uh, it's got a giant R in it. Um, it looks kind of like I would describe as has the look of something that fits New England. I mean, like the look of an actual old New England town. Um, so I think they did a good job of rebranding, not to just capture Boston, but all of the New England coast. Uh, Colin, your thoughts? Yeah, I a hundred percent agree. I really like it. I mean, I've got a, I've got. There's a soft spot in my heart for Boston and for fake New England, uh, fake history, um, which I think a lot of us have who are who have been long-term soccer fans. You know, we we all were fans of these MLS teams when they have goofy names like Crew and Sounders. And we wish they would have cooler names. Um, and this is just a really, really clean and nice logo. I think Renee's brought up a few times that the the sash looks a little bit goofy, like an anti-R. He's right, but I also think the sash is very cool. It's something they can add to their jersey in the future. Uh, but it's I wish that's what the crew would have done. You know, the, the R is something that's going to look awesome in a hat. I bought a new uh, Crew C hat, which looks great. The C is awesome. The crest, I still think, sucks, but uh, the C is great. The R is great. I think this Revs crest, should it be real, which I I think is like 80% chance of being real, I think it's maybe the best in the league. I, I'm willing to die on that hill. Yeah, I think it's definitely one of the better new designs. Um I think they kind of hit it out of the park on their first try. They did a lot better than obviously Chicago. Uh, I think always comes to mind when we think of brand redos. Oh, yeah, um, a female. You know, it's female designed, which is awesome. Like yeah. it's so cool that they're doing uh, something different. That they have a uh, a woman design this crest, it, and it, I think it looks great. I hope they don't back out of this. I hope this is it. If I were a Revs fan, I would love it. And I think the, the reactions have been mixed, but I think it's you've got the mix of people who think, wow, this is awesome, and the people who think I'm a 96 diehard,er oh, no changes, no changes, no changes. And, you know, conservatism, uh, I'm not a big fan of. So there you go. Yeah, I think it's – I would say what I've seen has been more positive than negative. But yeah. like you said, there's always going to be people who find something to complain about. Yeah. Um but overwhelmingly, or not overwhelmingly, but I feel like it's been received a lot better than a lot of the other things. Um, I get the, you know, original 96 thing, but, you know, if you look at any league in the world, uh, crests have evolved. I mean, Manchester City just redid their crest eight years ago. Yeah, um, it's a great And I think Everton, haven't they fixed theirs? I know Manchester United had fixed theirs. Uh, in so, 90s or 2000s. Everton's so, crest um, has changed tons of times. Uh, they, yeah. they changed it in like 2015, and then they the fans say, yeah. got mad, so they edited it again. So they've had three crests 
since I've been a fan uh, in 2003. And the crew have had the exact same number. So there you go. Yeah. So I think it's just pretty common. I think people just kind of want to hold on to what they want. But if it's, you look at it a different so way, Man like... Man U was green at one point. You know, it's eh, things change. It's still green and yellow. So <laughs> anti-glazers for life, baby. <laughs> uh, so... Yeah, the 60s. I've, the 60s, the Man U crest had the boat that now Man City has, which is interesting. I, do they still have a boat on the top of their crest? Who? Man U. Like a little boat over the devil? Uh, yes, they do. They still have a ship because Manchester is a pretty big shipping area. Yeah, but um, it's not even. It's in the not on the ocean. Y'all need to figure that out. I don't think we're gonna get into England on an MLS podcast. I'm but... happy to talk about English geography to the rest <laughs> of this podcast. You just want to be negative about England <laughs> at all times. Yes, yes I do. <laughs> yes. All right. Uh, so I think just kind of hitting on it, like I think. I don't think this is going to be the last team that updates their crest um, outside of Chicago, who's known as redoing it. I think this is going to be pretty common. Um, I don't think it's a bad thing. You know, I think it's good. You know, it's innovative. And, you know, hold on to your old stuff, Revs fans, with the flag and talk about how you were a fan, you know, for this long. Like, it's vintage. It's cool. You know, make it your own thing. The leaker of this crest... Or someone who leaked this crest mentioned that another MLS team is looking at a rebrand. Who do you think it is? You get three guesses. I, man. Only three. Do you know? No, I don't know. Oh, okay. He didn't, if he didn't I was going to take stab in the dark, I am leaning Colorado. I am also leaning Dallas. And gotta be someone in the east but who's old in in the east who hasn't had a re maybe toronto interesting i uh i would say colorado if colorado didn't change when i was in college i remember when so colorado was uh when they were getting ready for their new crest release i don't know if you remember they used to have this really goofy green and black and whoever yeah. whatever color crest so they were Obviously, their owner uh, owns Arsenal, and they were about to change their name to Colorado Arsenal, and there were all of these leaks with their current crest with Colorado Arsenal on it, and they didn't do mm-hmm. that, and they, they kept the Rapids. So I don't think, I don't think their owner cares enough to, uh, to actually change their name, but I would think if people are looking at a rebrand, it's got to be Salt Lake is number one. They're I don't know, because... I guess I just like I was like oh Galaxy but I was like oh their crest is pretty new they redid their like modernized their crest yeah. not too long ago if you ask me who needs a new crest I would say Seattle's number one oh, on my list yeah I don't like Seattle's but I don't think they'll redo it I think that's Seattle's kind of why I said one. Toronto Portland, Portland's up there Toronto's fine I, I wouldn't they don't need to do anything but if you want to say we need to change our name and our brand it's got to be Salt Lake why yeah. are they Real Salt Lake? That no one cares about that. And then after Real Salt Lake, it's probably Orlando. The, you're gonna have 19 city teams, and St. Louis seems to be leaning hard into the city brand. So, and new ownership for Orlando, maybe coming with a new look. Exactly. That's a good point. Yep. You're right um, there. Yeah. No. I mean, if we're just talking crest redesign, as a Seattle fan, I would like a different crest, even if it like. 
I mean, keep the Space Needle, but... Just tweak like, it. Just tweak yeah, it. it looks kind of cartoony, is all. I kind of agree. Yeah. Um, it's not bad. It's just, it's a little goofy. I like, weirdly, I like Vancouver's. I hope they don't do anything with theirs. Agreed. 100%. Um, I don't mind Portland's either. Um, yeah, it wouldn't be any of the new clubs. So, I don't know. Yeah. We'll see. I mean, Montreal, I guess Montreal is really new and they just redid their whole thing. So to yeah, the they, snowflake. They redid it and they're not seeming to want to back down. I don't like it, but Hand I'm just, so I'm, I'm looking at the standings right now on Google and you can scroll down. Like a lot of these look good. The crew looks bad because it's, it's for some reason in yellow and white. I've never seen that before. The new crew crest. Oh yeah. That's weird. But the rest of them, like it's, Maybe, is. you know who might change theirs? Atlanta. So no, they're not, uh, anyone they're who's on Reddit, MLS, um, Atlanta is one of two clubs who had Adidas design their crest. True. So it has nothing to do with like anyone in Atlanta. It was probably just like, oh, we'll just outsource this. Adidas is the jersey provider. So it's a fine crest. Like it looks good, but it's pretty generic. So, and I, I, think I think Arthur Blank really good, could... Though. Yeah, no, it's it's good, but like I could see Arthur Blank wanting to mix it up. So I don't know. I think it's too good. (laughs) Uh, I still hate Cincinnati's. I do too. Maybe Cincinnati's the team. It's so I don't know why either, because like it seems like it should be fine, but like I think the shape is wrong. So it's too chunky. The weirdness of Cincinnati. So Cincinnati's crest was designed by the team that made the new Juventus, uh, like J letter crest. Oh, weird. Yeah. And the, the, the odd thing about that team is that there was, this is a really, I mean, we're going deep now, so that there was a, uh, a team that did exist and still does exist called the Dayton Dutch Lions. And they were a, a lower division team that had somehow had this Dutch influence and was it like playing some fun games in the lower divisions. Hurt Eddie Gavin, a crew player uh, with, in 2008 who won the cup. Was a really great and player. They broke people don't his, forget. Ended people his, uh, don't forget. They ended his career. I will never forget that. I were, can tell. But they, so they were Dayton Dutch Lions. They had a lion. They were blue. They were orange. They moved to Cincinnati, and they sort of became uh, FC Cincinnati. Like that's that's why yeah. they have these colors. They're more or less the natural progression of the Dayton Dutch Lions. And that is so weird because no one cared about this team. Like, people enjoyed watching a good team in Dayton, a a good team in Cincinnati, but no one cared about this weird Dayton Dutch Lions brand. So I I have no idea why Cincinnati has maintained this through their MLS. It's kind of like uh, the Detroit team. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, (laughs) All right. Well, this has been uh, Hello from Design Talk. So (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm just going to kind of keep it moving. It's time for our, uh, or I guess, weekly-ish segment, uh, overreaction. One thing from each conference that you'd like to overreact to. Um, Hang on. I'll I'll do Davis real quick. Uh, This is Davis. Hey guys, uh, it's me, Davis. Uh, uh, for the East, uh, is, is New England any good? Um, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I think that actually ties in with Colin's take. Uh, Colin, you, you, was it that your take as well? Uh, I, I think my take is that New England is fine, but they, you know, this, this season has barely started and they've played like nobody. 
you say that because they beat the crew, so. They did, but look at all of their <laughs> wins. So something we like to talk about in uh, American football is like a one-score game is sort of a, a lucky win, more or less. I know when you have a tie, that, that changes when you, can, when you have the ability to tie. But if you look at uh, New England's win-loss record, they have a lot of one win, one uh, score wins in the, in this early season. Listen, is, their goal differential is four, exactly, which isn't a lot for no, a team who's currently top of the table. No, it's not, and that's their goal differential is four. But to their credit, that's second most in the league, in the East at least. Yeah, I was gonna say the crazy thing is fourth place New York City. Who I'm just gonna make this my take, New York City has surprised me with how good they've been early. I think uh, going into the season, I didn't have extremely high hopes for New York City. I think part of this is because when we did our like previews, you know, we tied New York City and New York Red Bulls together. And, you know, the Red Bulls for a long time in MLS were just kind of like a stalwart as being one of the top three teams in the East and they've kind of fallen off. And So I, I agree, but I think the New York... City FC goal differential is super skewed by a five, the Cincinnati game. That Cincinnati game <laughs> just breaks. It's broken. It doesn't. It's not correct. Cincinnati just quit. They also got to play Philly, who got a red card and they won two to nothing. So they had seven goals in two games, which are both probably like should have been probably a one goal win plus a two goal win. So those should have been three a three goal differential game when they're getting seven. Listen, if we're going to talk about cheap goals, we can talk about how Columbus can't score in the open play oh, and right. can only that's, score that's on free correct. kicks, and that's a big problem. It is a problem. <laughs> and that's that's a good hot take to have. You know, I So I, I, I think we've got the Toronto game listed to talk about. We do, yeah. And we can, we can maybe talk about that later. I don't know how much there is to say, but that's a problem for the crew, and I, I think they're going to figure it out. It's not a problem I thought they would have looking at their lineup. I agree. I think it's not a problem I thought they would have either. And the fact that neither of us thought they would have that problem they do right now means it might not be a problem for game 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. Because yeah, you and early. I know this supporter shield, especially this year, does not matter at all. All that matters is getting home playoff games. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so I think to answer davis's question is new england good i think collectively we're kind of saying eh, shrug it's early but this is overreaction so it's a fair overreaction to be like maybe they are really good or maybe they aren't quite as good as we think um i will say they did have that big win uh in a hard-fought game against columbus um it was one nothing that game could have easily been a zero zero draw um you know it was. I think they scored on a break, didn't they? Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I think nor New England nor what am I saying there? New England is doing something. There are two ways to win an MLS. This is a total oversimplification, but go with me here. There are two ways to win. One, you can be the Galaxy or uh, Atlanta and buy really good players and just have the best players when it comes to the playoffs. That's one way. It works. Seattle does it too. The second way to win is to have players who are really, really good but aren't necessarily good enough to play for their national team. So whenever you have all of these international breaks, your players don't get called in. 
and they just get to keep sticking around and playing for your team when you get to play uh, like Nashville and, oh, Nashville lost a guy because he's at national duty. Okay, well, we're going to take this Nashville game and win because like Gustavo Boo is never going to play for Argentina or uh, Carlos Gil is never going to play for Spain. And Matt Turner, okay, we might lose Matt Turner, but our backup keeper is replacement level or slightly below for Matt Turner. You know, that's that's another way to win all of these games is to be to have players who are just not good enough to play for their national teams. That's a little Fringe bit of shade. national team players. Exactly. That's a little bit of shade, but it's also true. Yeah, no. I think you're also missing the third way to win MLS games is the Nashville model, which is to go down two goals and then come roaring back just to draw. You don't yeah. need to win, you just have to draw. Yeah. Uh, it seems to be working. They're in the playoffs. So. True, true. But it is, I I mean, we're like, we could talk about Nashville right now, but it is one of the, I've watched three or four Nashville games and every single one I've watched, they've gone down either one or two goals and then somehow gotten a draw in a game where it looked like they were going to lose. Yeah. Um, they're, they're at the very least fun to watch for that reason. <laughs> All right, uh, let's let's do uh, the West. Uh, what's your hot take for the West? I mean, Seattle's MLS Cup champions. That's my hot take. My my, okay. real, my real take is that like four people are going to get hurt and they're going to probably lose in the semifinals. But my hot Seattle take already is has four people hurt. Yeah, exactly. Four more. Yeah. Well. Uh, a counter to your hot take, uh, Seattle being overall in first place right now is shocking considering they have been without Stephen Fry now for two or three games. Uh, they've been out without uh, Ladero this entire season, True. but 20 minutes against uh, LAFC, so... Um, I think there is reason to be optimistic for Seattle that, you know, when they have their full squad. But that said, they are definitely going to have injuries. Uh, They fielded two games where they couldn't even have enough players. I think the Galaxy, same situation, didn't have enough players to fill their bench. Uh, Their bench was composed of three subs who were goalkeepers, um, (laughs) which is never a good sign uh, for injuries. Um, So... You are right. They are definitely an injury-prone team. You know, one more key player goes out and they could go tumbling. So I don't think it's a bad hot take. I think it's an accurate hot take. Um, I, let's see. Let me get Davis Davis here for uh, his West. He has two West hot takes. Can you believe this? <laughs> wow. Uh, his first uh, West hot take is... Uh, yeah, so the Kansas City Wizards, they, they really suck. Uh, and my other take is that LAFC is the best team in LA. So, All right, cool. Those are interesting takes from Davis. Um, I think both are really interesting in the sense that I kind of agree with this KC sucks take. Um, they're I know that the they're league. second in the West, but they're suffering from the same thing New England is. They haven't played anyone. Fair. That's fair. They absolutely have not. They have not played. I don't think they've played either LA team. They have not played Seattle. Um, their wins, uh, a couple of their wins, they've had to come from behind just to win. Um, you know, as a prime example, 
Uh, I think it's on our schedule maybe to talk about for games, but just to touch on Sporting Kansas City, the Dynamo game, uh, Dynamo were winning that game, and if Dynamo weren't probably bottom two or three teams in the West, they could have held on to that game. Uh, but Kansas City got up 3-1 and then gave up a late goal 3-2. Dynamo's in fifth. Fifth place yeah. Dynamo, baby. <laughs> but they've played, let's see, Dynamo, Vancouver, San Jose, Dynamo again, Austin, Orlando, Real Salt Lake, uh, New York Red Bulls, and Portland. So, fair. Their toughest games on there right now are Portland, who they played early in the season and drew with. And then, I guess, RSL? I, I don't know, but they just haven't played anyone. I, I don't yeah, think man. they're good. Uh, the games I've watched from them, they haven't looked spectacular. Um, they've had to have things go right for them, but, uh, you know, it's, it's a team that's played together a long time. Uh, they kind of also like new England have a bunch of players who aren't going to get called up for national duty. So they'll be right there. So, uh, I think his LAFC is better than the galaxy take is a little more suspect right now. Um, LAFC, I think has kind of underwhelmed this year so far and the galaxy has i i would say outperformed everyone's expectations of how we thought they were going to be and a lot of that has to do with the uh renaissance of chicharito if you had to uh take one of those two teams to win a single elimination playoff game on the road who would you pick lafc oh wow i would pick the galaxy because oh i thought you were saying lafc or kansas city no sorry lafc or the galaxy Single oh, elimination ooh. game on the road, anywhere in the country, doesn't matter where, not in L.A., so not L.A., L.A., one of the two L.A. teams elsewhere. Who wins? Who would you take to, to if your life is on the line? Jesus. This is a very good hypothetical question. I know. I'm, I know who I'm taking, but I want to I know. Yeah, I know as well because you just said Galaxy. I did. I did. Yep. Um, God, I think that they're both – good teams but if it comes down to my life i'm betting my life on the galaxy's coach yes i feel like he's proven himself more in winning important do or die games with and they Toronto. have a striker yeah they actually have a striker um and i this is really unfair but i don't trust bob bradley like what has bob bradley done lately that makes me feel like i should trust him i don't again with i don't bob think bradley that's to me is, uh... fair Bob Bradley is the evolutionary Greg Berhalter, which I think means Greg Berhalter is like the young Bob Bradley. You know, neither one have really won anything aside from a couple. I mean, that's not true. Bob Bradley has won at least one MLS Cup, if not multiple. Yeah, well, Greg Berhalter's won a Nations Cup, so. <laughs> true. Nations League Championship, baby. I just, LA until they get a striker is not, they're not it. They're not going to do it. That You can't Listen. play 15 midfielders in MLS and expect 15 midfielders, some of whom are not DP or even TAM level, to, to cut it. You can't do it. I think LAFC took a huge gamble on Carlos Vela. They took a gamble on him staying healthy, which he had never really proved that he could do for long stretches. And they got one phenomenal season out of him. 
and probably should have won MLS Cup that year, but uh, God, who won it that year? Oh, right, right, right. Seattle did. Yeah, that's right. Uh, and the pundits were bad, baby. Um, but they got that one year out of him, but they he's he's been injured this year, and unless he can get healthy and get right, they don't have a striker. Yeah, I agree. He's they let... is Joel Embiid. Every time he is healthy, if you don't win, you are wasting his career. Yeah. Um, I think uh, Rene, did he give us a hot take for either of these? Uh, I, I don't have any, but I'm, I'm sure he's saying uh, the Galaxy are never losing again. I think his hot take is he's just going to double down on your take from last time that Minnesota's going to fire their coach. Yeah. So long, Inchi. <laughs> Get lost. It's going to be a uh, Get lost, con- hoser. continuation uh, ongoing thing. Man, FC Dallas's logo is really bad, by the way. I like it. I think they rule. I think it, that's because you like cows. I think it's great. I love beef. It's not very environmentally conscious of you, Colin. All right, let's get to uh, our next big, big topic that's going to lead to uh, more analytics talk. But let's talk about what happened with Inner Miami and their superior management by David Beckham. <laughs> the one and only. So I'll, I'll, I'll handle this one. Um, the, apparently Beckham is not, doesn't have anything to do with this, but uh, Miami got... I love that. Can we just, hang on, before we yeah. move on from that point, can we talk about how great it is that when things are going right for Inner Miami, it's like, oh, look at all these great things David Beckham's doing. Or when things are going poop, no one wants to talk about him. Yep. It's like, <laughs> oh, let's, uh, let's find Jorge Moss, 250000 David Beckham, who? Yeah. What? I've never... I don't know that? who that is. Um, so, Inner Miami... He's from London. ...has been uh, under investigation by MLS, who owns them, but they own every team. And they own yep. every contract. They've been under investigation by MLS for many months now. We've talked about this multiple times in this podcast for violation of the designated player and roster rules last year, their first year in the league. And coming into this year, which is even more insane. Yes. So, so like a year and a half. <laughs> MLS finally released their findings and their penalties uh, in the last couple weeks, and they determined that the not not only was Blaze Matweedy a DP, they had Matweedy. five DPs on their team. Currently, you're allowed to have three DPs on your team, so they had five players with DP salaries. They had three additional players whose salaries were not reported correctly. And because of that, they decided that they would find the team itself $2 million. They would find Jorge Mas, the owner in question mark. Uh, or in I think he's majority marks. owner, right? Majority owner, owner, whatever, $250,000 himself. They would suspend former GM, current GM of Atlanta, no longer current GM of Atlanta, Paul McDonough, a year. So he lost his job at Atlanta because of this. And I think the harshest penalty they gave, and probably the most fair penalty, is they penalized Miami $2.7 million of allocation money through 2023, which essentially means that Miami, just at a baseline, 
has a salary cap that is one quarter less than every other team in MLS for this season, next season, and the following season. That is Which, a really harsh penalty. Yeah, the insane thing to me about this is just that when you're an expansion team, you get bonus money to help you get up to level with everyone. Yeah. So they've basically squandered the bonus that other teams have utilized to get good fast. And now they don't even have that. Yep. Um, right. And I looked just so we're clear. Jorge Moss is the managing owner. Um, there's a weird ownership structure for Miami, several owners, yeah. but um, he's kind of the one who's in charge. And then David Beckham is like an owner, um, like operator, president of like operations kind of thing. So um, not quite uh, the head honcho, but uh, interesting enough, Jorge Moss, I'm assuming his brother, uh, Jose Moss, is he's also an owner. So I'm assuming they're brothers. Sure. Um, I have no idea. And then there's another owner, uh, Masayoshi's son. And then the owner chairman is Marcelo Clare. I don't know how to say it, but uh, yeah. Marcelo, Marcelo Clara? Yes, yeah. I think he owns, ugh, I'm going to sound like a dummy. I think he owns uh, Sprint, or he's in charge of Sprint. Sprint's no longer a thing. It got there. Well, he, he was in charge of Sprint. He was like the Movistar guy. Oh, okay. Like, He's a Bolivian-American technology entrepreneur and businessman. He's he does currently the he CEO of SoftBank guy. Group, so kind of a big deal. Yeah, he's he's rich. Oh, he yeah, you're right. He was the executive chairman of Sprint. Yeah. Um, okay, anyway, this is all irrelevant to Inter Miami, but just to kind of give a breakdown, they apparently have five owners. I'm guessing David Beckham is a very minimal uh, kind of like... Kind of like Will Ferrell, he except he actually understands soccer. Unlike so Will Ferrell, he was he was a low owner, but what he did was he had a buy-in to MLS that was like twenty-five million dollars, and the current MLS buy-in is like four hundred million. So that's yeah, that's it was the value part of his structured deal when yep. he came to MLS, right? Exactly. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. So. Uh, you know, and I mean, as much as you want to complain about this, um, I think that MLS more on an international stage started gaining notoriety when Beckham came. Yeah, um, for sure. For better or for worse, as a retirement league um, or not. But, um, you know, that part of the deal may seem weird, but I think in the long run for what Beckham did for MLS, yeah. uh, it, it's it's totally worth it. Um, so back to all these huge fines for Miami. I shouldn't say huge, but uh, dramatic fines. Um, I think a lot of people are, I know when I read it, I was shocked at the amount of fines um, and everything that went into it. I was also stunned to see that they had five players and not four, which was kind of the common yeah. understanding was that they only had four DPs. Yeah. Um, so I... I already forgot who the Phantom Fifth DP is, but I don't um, remember either. Yeah, I think this is just really interesting since MLS obviously does the negotiating for the teams that they would allow these negotiations to even happen. Mm -hmm. And then my follow up point to that is 
if you have five DPs, why do you suck so much in Miami? <laughs> yeah, I mean, they made the playoffs, but they were 10th in the East last year. And they yeah, got waxed by Nashville. As they should have. playoff. Yeah. I, so I think my frustration with this is that you had uh, Jorge Mas come to The Athletic and give all of these comments, essentially defending himself and saying, there are some of us in MLS who want to spend money and we want to push the league further. And there are others who are fine to sit on their wealth and to continue to increase their team's value, which is great and all. But if you think you are expanding your team's success and value by spending all of that money on old man Blaze Matweedy, who anyone in this podcast, either of the two of us, who, have, who are just lawyers doing God knows what, could have told you that Blaze Matweedy is not worth being the fourth highest paid player in your league. We could have done this. So if that's what you think is, is good, then maybe you shouldn't be spending your money. Maybe you should just focus on playing within the rules. I Can was we, uh, uh, not sorry, called Blaze Mutuidi old since he's our age. No, he's old. <laughs> I'm, I well, was I guess he's everyone's age, but young boy Davis, who's <laughs> 16. The, uh, the athletic writers who have a podcast with Total Soccer Show, Allocation Disorder, um, Paul Tenorio and Sam Sedgkel were going on and on about how great it was that Jorge Mas was pushing all of this. But to me, it's, it's, it's different. It's not that Jorge Mas is, Mas is doing this great thing by saying, we need to spend more money. Sure, money needs to be spent. But you can't – Jorge Mas is the example for why we have this salary structure because we can't trust billionaires and millionaires. I don't even think Jorge Mas is a billionaire. We can't trust rich people to be smart and good at soccer spending. All we can trust them at is to spend their money to make themselves look better. That's it. Or to spend their money to increase their money. Two things. And Jorge Mas has not done that so far. So why should we think that he is doing this great thing for the league when in reality he's spending his money in the dumbest way possible? All he wants to do is make Inter-Miami the hottest and best club in Miami. Like, great. Cool. Awesome. We know you want to have cool friends and have cool people look up to you. But you're not you've he's not done a, a good job. You've done a really bad job so far. So either He's trying to sell kits, baby. Exactly. Yeah, but like either invest in things that will make your team better to actually buy good players and then break the rules or or don't. Like that's what drives me crazy is that he wasn't breaking the rules for someone who is good. He was breaking the rules for Blaze Matweedy and like Leandro Gonzalez Perez, who was fine with Atlanta, but was getting old and is still not very good. Like you are not spending your money on good things. You are not the beacon for expanding the salary cap, which I think we all want. You are just a guy who wants to be rich, who got punched in the face and wants to make it seem like he's the hero all along. My rant that is seems over. Fair. <laughs> all right. Well, I think in your rant, you bring up the point that I think we both kind of wanted to get to here, which is we've touched on a little bit already with talking about the crew in their new stadium, is why not spend that money on analytics? Why not? Um, you know, we've had discussions 
not necessarily on this podcast, but we're going to right now about how because MLS is set up with a cap system where essentially no team can really be, you know, we'll say the New York Yankees or I guess realistically the LA Dodgers now. Um, in that they can't spend an infinite amount of money and just be like, well, I'm going to go over the salary cap. I don't care. I'll pay whatever fine I want. Um, the MLS has a hard cap. No one can really go over it. Obviously, you kind of do in your DPs, but that's, you know, each team's limited on how many DPs they can have. So there's really like, you know, it's your choice if you want to spend $20 million on a DP it counts as so much on your salary, but you only get three of those. So, so. I, would, I would say MLS has a hard cap with a secondary pot of money that the league holds that can be spent on players that you can access via various mechanisms. Which yes. Is the most complicated way to say that. Well, I mean, we yes, gam and tam and all those fun exactly. things. Um, but because of this, we've noticed that unlike super clubs in Europe, um, not to bring up Super League, but unlike those teams, you have to be more savvy in the players you're investing in. And that comes down to an analytics department that knows what the hell they're doing. Um, And I'm going to kick it to you, Colin, because you were talking about something pretty interesting that you saw um, in a crew chat regarding how good MLS's analytic departments are compared to major clubs in the world sure so uh massive report and more more importantly and much more um analytically american soccer analysis has a writer elliot mckinley uh really excellent writer um who essentially tears out the mls analytics teams to literally better than liverpool which means a really devoted and dedicated analytics team to um i I forget the second tier which is like red moneyball and think that wasn't enough which means they're doing a little bit more than moneyball and then the last tier is is nothing essentially and looking through his list today there are 14 mls teams who he lists as literally better than liverpool that probably means that those teams have a robust analytics department that leads their player acquisition department. And that's totally different than any major team in the world because even Liverpool doesn't need to say, oh, well, who do we think is the best? They're just going to go on Twitter. They're going to pay their scout and their scout's going to go on Twitter and say, well, who, who are the like data analysts, analysts saying is good? Okay, cool. We see, uh, you know, Tommy, Tommy Bahama from, you know, Fun time FC in, in Bermuda. <laughs> he scored 97 <laughs> goals last year, yeah, Colin. He, 97 he, goals. He's got insane packing stats. His XG is through the roof. We've got to get this guy. We're going to spend money on him. No, like they don't have to do that because they've got all of these. They can just look at Twitter and, and have Twitter do it for them. And then they can just outbid people. When MLS, you've got to make really good signings. Lucas Elorian was not a player who was playing much for Tigres. But the cruise analytics department looked at him and said, we like what he's doing in this phase of the game. We like what he's doing in this phase of the game. We think he's going to fit with our team here, and he can be a value at this price. And so that's why they bought him, and it won a cup. Like, those are the things you can do 
in MLS to take yourself up a level that teams in Liga MX aren't doing, teams in Europe aren't doing, and even teams in the bottom of MLS aren't doing. Yeah, and I think that is a huge thing. And to kind of hit on the point you're talking about with Zellerayon, I mean, I know that before Crew signed him, there was, you know, buzz. I think a lot of people in MLS circles kind of knew that they were interested in Zellerayon. But before that moment, I can say I didn't know a whole lot about him. I never um, heard of him. I, yeah, and it... It's a lot different than some of the other players that come into MLS, like um, Ladero, for example. Like, sure, he was in a household name uh, by most MLS people, but Seattle had been circling him for almost two seasons at that point. Um, so a lot of people in Seattle, and I think probably their rivals, knew of Ladero and knew what he was capable of. I felt like Celerion, no one knew that. Um, and that just goes to show that, like, like you said, uh, he wasn't getting a lot of playing time. Um, I, I and don't know. I he's think, I think been you're a perfect MLS Seattle fit. There. I think Ladero is the exact same uh, analysis there. Seattle found this guy who they said, you know, Garth Lagerway said, we know he can do X, Y, and Z at this level. You know, these are the stats that are backing this up. Let's go grab him for an amount of money we can afford when – he should probably yeah. be getting time in Spain at a mid to low level team or England. Like these are guys that are good enough to play at those places, but yeah. just weren't identified by them. They were identified by MLS teams. No, I totally agree. I mean, I'm just saying like the Seattle thing, it was partially, they had a DP. They couldn't get him when they initially wanted him. So I'm just saying it took longer to get him. So yeah, I, I people with MLS were a little more familiar. But like I guess to your point, it is surprising that no one else came in and bought him out. Like but you know, this kind of goes to the arrogance of European clubs not thinking MLS yeah. clubs know what they're doing. Yeah. However, I think that is kind of changing a little bit, um, based on some of the players from MLS who have gone over to Europe and been successful. Mm-hmm. Um which is good. I mean, but MLS has kind of had their run of being this savvy analytical league where they're finding value where it's being overlooked. And maybe that changes, maybe it doesn't. Uh, so, I, for one, don't think it will. I agree. And I, I think to wrap this up, if you look at two signings together who are from the same team, uh, Miguel Amaran and Ezekiel Barco. Almiron was a little bit older than Barco yes. and was good. Almiron was already a, a household name in Paraguay, and I can't remember which league he was playing in, whether it was Argentina or in the Paraguayan league. But they looked at him and they said, okay, we know what we want here. We see that Almiron can offer this. Let's get, let's get him. And they did that. And Barco was a big-time young prospect, and they paid a lot of money for him. Mm-hmm. And Almiron was a huge success using this analytical model. Barco wasn't. I'm, I'm totally, you know, making this a much simpler thing than it is. But Almiron, huge success, totally fit the analytics. Barco was a household name, essentially, and in scouting circles and has been a bust, more or less. You know, he, he's been average to maybe slightly above replacement. 
Yeah, I think uh, I think Barco's kind of been a surprise um, in yeah. his performance for Atlanta. He definitely has flashes where you can see exactly why they spent the money on him, but it's never been like, I don't know, it's never consistent for a full game, I guess. Um, you know, he'll have a stretch where he takes it over, um, and then other times he's fades into the background. Yeah. Um, which isn't exactly what I would be thrilled if I was paying that amount of money for him. I would want him to dominate and own the entire game. Um, but you win some, you lose some. All right. Uh, I think that kind of ties up, I guess, weirdly Miami penalties um, and the splashiness of their owners uh, and how it kind of backfired. Um Let's move into a quick chat. We're just going to touch on games from the last matches played. Um, so we're going to kick it off with uh, Carew v. Toronto. Um, before we get into this game, Colin, and you can kind of do your crew chat, I think the weird thing going into this game was that uh, Josie Altador had a spat with the new Toronto manager and did not play in this game. Uh, and looks like he wants out of Toronto. Yeah, he does. The interesting, I, I don't disagree with Josie, and we, I think everyone in this podcast and everyone, uh, including, which which means Davis and Renee, who aren't able to be here tonight with us, uh, would agree that we all called this. We all called this Toronto thing not working out with the setup they had, the team they had, and with Chris Armas coming in and trying to be Red Bull 2.0, 3.0, whatever they are. And Josie's had enough. He says, you know, I'm 28, 29, 30, however old Josie is. I want to be on a team that's catered to me, and I want to move. And that's, and that's the case. He didn't even play in this match. I don't know if he was there. I didn't get a chance to watch He's it. He's 31. Live. Yeah. I didn't get a chance to watch this live, so I don't know if Josie was at the game. But – He's he's looking for his way out. I would venture to guess that his agent is working on that uh, currently. The issue is, MLS-wise, his salary is really hard to match. And transfer-wise, he's 31 years old. So unless he wants to go play maybe in Mexico, maybe, or at a lower division team elsewhere, he's he's really sort of up the creek without a paddle and unless a you know a team wants wants to trade for him i if if the crew didn't have zardes i would want him but i don't know how much he brings that zardes doesn't because they sort of play they play they don't sort of they totally play two different styles zardes is a target striker and josie's not but you know if if uh seattle wanted to trade for him i would think that's not a bad move I, I don't think Seattle has a room for him. They would have to do a DP for a DP swap, and I don't think they want to do that. What um, if LAFC wanted to trade for him? That could happen. That's that's it. That's the team that should give as much gam, tam, whatever, as they could for Josie. That's it. That's the spot. Yeah, send Latif Blessing at gam, tam. Yeah, Exactly. I just don't want to face Latif Blessing anymore. That's all that is. They, they, I mean, it's, it's, he's a fast boy. He's a zoom zoom. LAFC has got to be the place where he's got a target. His agent's got a target. And LAFC should want him. They should say, Josie is our ticket to a potential championship. If we can keep Josie healthy for the whole year, 
we will be the favorites. And I, I wouldn't argue with that. Man, it'd be really fun to watch trying to keep Josie and Carlos Vela healthy at the same exactly. time. You just have to wrap them in bubbles and pray. Vela and their whole team feeding Josie is... Can we just scary. say the most comical place for Josie to land would be Real Salt Lake? I would agree with you if they didn't have Rubio Rubin and Bobby... Uh, what's his name coming in like two months yeah no i'm just saying it'd be comical because didn't he get in a spat with a bunch of their fans uh sure i'm I'm pretty sure he got into a twitter argument during the black lives matter uh protest with rsl fans maybe he may have and they probably deserved whatever he brought to them all right um that kind of wraps up uh just the brief uh talking point of just the weird thing that's going on with Toronto right now in that what, exactly what we predicted happened. Um, cool that Chris Armas completely sold ownership that he was like, nope, not going to do that. Well, so Chris Armas sold ownership in so much as Ali Curtis, their GM, is his buddy from New York Red Bulls days. He's yeah. the GM at New York who hired Mike Petkey, fired Mike Petkey, and then uh, had Jesse Marsh come along and jesse marsh is a very good coach and is now coaching red bull leipzig uh next year so take do with that what you will um i i think toronto needs to decide whether they want to write this season off and then next season build a team around uh chris armis which why not i think that's what they should do or if they want to bail on chris armis and get a coach that's going to make their system work but the fact that they hired him suggests to me that they want to bail on the team and make it work for him, which is fine. That's I don't have a problem with that. Yeah, go for it. Yeah, um, you the, probably need to get rid of Michael Bradley. Too. Exactly. They've got to they've got to move on from Bradley. They've got to move on from Josie, and then go from there. Um, the crew the crew Toronto game itself. Uh, the crew played a really great first half, probably the best first half, the best single half they've played since uh, the game against Monterey. Well, yeah, they scored two goals in, what, like 25 minutes exactly. or something two, like two that? Two good goals. Yeah. The, the second half was not good, but it's early in the season. They're still not healthy, all of that stuff. Um, it was a promising first half. They'll build on it uh, the end. <laughs> all right. Uh, let's move on real quick. Uh, the other game that we had some action on and people watching um, – just for the sake of, you know, more Portland talk, more Philly talk. Uh, they're both pretty good clubs. Um, so let's dive in for Philadelphia, Portland. What, what are your thoughts? Did you watch this game? Any thoughts? Yeah, so I will give you, I have been wrong about Shabilko so far. Yes. So this is why we're talking about this. Seven, seven, eight games through the season, I've been wrong about Shabilko. Will he be this guy in week 20? I don't know. But God, if he is, he's MLS MVP. Yeah, you're you're not wrong. He is. If he's not this guy in week twenty, I won't be surprised. But if he is this guy, he is MVP. Like he's got to stay healthy. He's am, kind of one of those people too that can. Is. I will stand by that binary though. If he's if he's this good, he's MVP. If he's not, then I'm not surprised. So, it's you know, but he's playing well. He's getting in good position. He's getting good service, and oh, he's if, getting excellent service. If, Philly can keep that up. They'll be good. But Philly is razor thin. They, they have such mm-hmm. little depth. 
Their bench is not good, and they have got to stay as healthy as possible, which is not easy in any league in the world. Okay, just fun exercise while we're talking about Philly real quick. Who is the player in your mind, the one player they can't afford to lose, would have the biggest impact? Andre Blake, disincluded. Oh my gosh. I mean, the, the player I want to say is Leon Flock, because I really like the way he plays. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I see everyone saying, oh, Leon Flock's going to get called into the U.S. national team for the Gold Cup as a six, but... I mean, I've watched quite a few Philly matches, and I don't think he's ever played as a six for them. He's he's an eight slash a winger, so maybe he's like a Tyler Just, Adams that's better on the ball. But I don't know. I think it's I think it's Leon Flock or uh, it's Leon Flock. My hot take. Ready for this? Sure. They can't afford to lose Bedoya. Oh, Bedoya. No, I agree. I, he is I, the I, engine right. that keeps Philly running. I, I have a Andrew uh, Bedoya jersey, so I'm or uh, yeah, Alejandro Bedoya. Excuse me. I am 100% Bedoya. Yeah, I think he's uh, very critical for them going forward. And I, I Bedoya. Really I would love Bedoya to replace Legette in the national team, but Legette's younger and faster and better on the ball. So sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Bedoya. Uh, I, I uh, love but Alejandro this is... Bedoya. This is great for Philly, and it's kind of the New England thing. Bedoya is a fringe national player. Yep. Oh, he's um, not even fringe. He is gone. Anymore. He is done. Yeah, he's pretty old. Um, the other, my secondary choice would be Kaya Wagner. He's been really good for them as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, no. So just to touch on this game real quick, oh, uh, wow. Philly is older beat... than me, so he is definitely done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wait. <That's>, uh... <laughs> oh, I, <laughs> I'm reading Bedoya's birthday and thought it said August. And I was like, I saw him at 34, and I'm like, wait, how old am I? Am I 34? And I forgot? No. No. He was born in April, so no. Yeah. Uh, so just a quick recap of this game. Um, <laughs> that's not me getting vindication on my Shabelko take. <laughs> uh, it's uh, Portland did not look good. Um, they get the pants beat out of them. It was 3 nothing Philly. Um, there is some concern in the Portland camp. Uh, for a team that came into this year with high hopes. Um, They're still getting players back from injuries from last year. I think Portland fans are probably panicking for no reason. That said, uh, this team that showed up, I watched every minute of this game, looks like they did not want to be playing that game at all, and it was evident early, and Philly was able to body them, uh, which Philly is very good at doing. Um, So... That's my big take, uh, besides the fact that Shabelko had a goal and an assist. So I'm with you on Portland. I I think we both thought Portland was going to be really good, and if anyone's listening and heard me say something about Portland being bad, feel free to tweet me at Colin Johnson with two L's. I know you won't. Not the football player, though. The professional football player. I own at Colin Johnson's. Thank you very much. But um, <laughs> I, I think you're right in saying that, yeah, Portland doesn't need to worry right now because they're help. They're doesn't matter. It's early. At the same time, like, they're, they're seventh place. They're still in the playoffs. But, you know, they're, they're nine points out of first with only a game in hand. So... At best, they're six points out of first place, which isn't great, but it's also you've got 20, manageable. You've got twenty-seven games left. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. All right, uh, next game, real quick. Uh, Atlanta, Nashville. We kind of talked on the 
Nashville model here. Uh, Atlanta was up 2 nothing. You know, looked like they were in cruise control. Uh, and then Nashville did that thing where they scored two goals in a five-minute stretch uh, starting in the 80th minute. Um, do you have any thoughts about this? I think my big takeaway from this is that I wish Nashville didn't give up goals early because it seems like once they give up a goal and realize they're down, their defense plays like what I expect their defense to play like from the start. Um, it's almost like their defense needs to get like shocked into the game. Um, but that was kind of their calling card last year and why they did well in the playoff uh, is just that they had a good defense and were able to counter. Um, but I think the other thing I have from this is that when they've been down, they've been able to figure out ways to score goals, um, which I think for me was kind of surprising. I kind of saw Nashville as being a uh, kind of layback, utilize your good defense, counter, that's how we're going to win games. But for them to be able to be down and have to figure out ways to score goals has been uh, impressive to me, especially with the amount of times they've been able to pull uh, losses into draws. Um, so that's my big takeaway from this. Do you have any thoughts? Yeah, my thoughts on Nashville are that Nashville's coach, Gary Smith, is a very good MLS coach who knows how to win an MLS Cup and we all take him for granted because he won a weird cup with Colorado in 2009 that was goofy, and he probably didn't deserve it. But it seems like after last year and this year with Nashville, he might actually be a good coach, so we should give him the credit he deserves. And they're totally focused on defense, but that works in MLS. If you can limit your goals uh, – a point per game is worth a lot. And if you can turn that point per game into 1.5 points per game, that's really valuable in this league. And you can make the playoffs and potentially uh, make it pretty far in the playoffs with that. All right. Uh, we got two more games we're going to talk about real quick. Uh, Austin, Seattle. Um, it was zero zero draw. Your thoughts? Austin stinks. They're stinky, bo stinky booty boys. Um, yeah, my thoughts real quick on this one. Just they can't that, score uh, a goal. Yeah, Their Seattle couldn't score bad. a goal either. Um, yeah, uh, it's just my quick take about this one was uh, Seattle probably should have won that game if they could just finish. They looked exhausted, though. Yeah. Um, like you said, they've been razor thin this year. They're injuries away from being catastrophic, um, like most teams in MLS. So uh, this international break couldn't have come at a better time for them. They had a goal disallowed for offside. I don't think it was off, but uh, I'm also super biased. So uh, that's neither here nor there. Um, my Austin take was they didn't look terrible. They're fast and young. And I think in the right circumstances, when they can get a goal and yes. be up early, it's good Not for them. Yes. Um, yeah. They, they kind of build their confidence. So the fact that Seattle can score right away, let Austin play into this game. Um, all right. And then, uh, like I, I said. I, don't know. I think you're giving Austin too much credit. I think they stink. Eh? They, had, they had a lot of shots in that game. Um, but they didn't have a lot of possession, which is what they want. So I don't know. I, I, Austin is, is a stinky team with a stinky owner. They're poor. They've scored not enough goals. They have, what, a win against Colorado, a win against Austin, Minnesota? Cool, good for you. 
Hey. You don't deserve anything, you stinky boys. Hey. They, uh, uh, you know, North Star, Wonderwall, words. Um, I don't know. I just really don't want to talk about Minnesota. But Minnesota lucky, stinks. lucky for us, we got Davis uh, with our next game is going to be RSL Minnesota. So I'm going to pause so that Colin has time to insert Davis's stuff. So uh, here's our takes on that. How could you do this? How could you do this to me? All right. Well, uh, yeah. So thank you, Davis, for the RSL stuff. Really appreciate it. Um, I think, is there anything else you want to touch on? No, not at all. All right. Awesome. Well, we look forward to seeing you guys or, I guess, you know, giving you guys more analysis here in two weeks uh, once play starts up again. Should be pretty interesting. Um, Some teams are still going to be out, people for international break because of Common Bowl. Um, so should be interesting to see how things shape up the next two weeks. And again, thank you for listening and don't forget to hit that like and smash that subscribe button. Uh, Renee sends his love and Davis says, thank All right. And this has been hello from the offside. Goodbye. Offside.